0: Världens bästa Carlson, 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 Carlson. Hoi, här comes Carlson. Carlson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson, så bra som mig, Carlson, 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 Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, yeah. Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, Vackra, yes! Welcome everybody! To another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best Kill fantasy that. hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson and their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski. I am not currently joined by my regular co-host, Brian Com. He's on a sunny Florida vacation, but never fear, we've got a ringer for all of you. A huge get. Scott Cullen from The Athletic joined me to talk about all the news and notes from the past week in fantasy. It was an awesome interview that we recorded on Sunday afternoon. I think you're going to love it. So without further ado, I'm going to cut to my interview with scott cullen and then i'll come talk to you at the end of the show maybe catch up on some things that happened in the evening of fantasy action including a big trade okay everybody we've got a really special treat this week brian is away in sunny florida but it doesn't matter we've got a huge guest scott cullen formerly of tsn he now writes for the athletic he writes weekly fantasy notebook articles where he basically does what brian and i do on the show you know pointing out fantasy relevant headlines every week also contributor at monkey knife fight also recently scott i haven't introduced you yet but still selling your accolades here i saw that you're starting a new fantasy baseball podcast on the locked on network so we're really lucky to get an hour of your time welcome to the show scott cullen
1: well thanks thanks for having me um yeah the uh uh, you, you've kind of covered all the bases there, and uh, yes, the, the newest of, of my of my ventures is going to be a fantasy baseball podcast on on the Locked On Network. I'm excited about getting that going, but. Uh Obviously, uh, I, I've done a lot of fantasy hockey uh, writing and analysis over the years. So that's that's still kind of my bread and butter at this point, I'd say.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I know for sure that Brian and I both always eagerly anticipate your projections that come out in September. Probably our favorite projections, especially in terms of free projections out there. It's pretty <laughs> amazing to have that available. Also, I noticed that uh, we had you on the show once before, five years ago, in January 2015. It was our 49th episode. So I think that we have to lock this in, uh, no pun intended, for your new a baseball podcast we should lock us in every five-year tradition of you coming on keeping carlson
1: so like 2025 i'll uh, I'll, I'll find that weekend and mark it in
0: yeah it'll be yeah. perfect we'll talk about is andre vasilevsky still worth holding even though know, he's an <laughs> yeah. old man I think it'll be great. Uh, So, hey, I wanted to actually ask you, before we get into the content, and I I have a whole slate of injuries and outjuries and, of course, the big trade and hot streaks and cold streaks. I'll try to squeeze as much out of you as I can. Before we get to the content, maybe can you share what goes into that Scott Cullen brand of hockey analysis? Like, (laughs) how how do you decide who to put in your weekly notebooks and, like, what stats or data sources are you looking at when you're coming up with your projections or trying to figure out during the season, like, a certain player that's hot or cold, if it's sustainable or fleeting? I'd love to just know, like, how do you dig into things?
1: Well, okay. so for the for the weekly notebooks, I almost always start by going to like either Yahoo or ESPN fantasy leagues and and wiping out the guys who are taken in in most leagues. You know, like I it'll be it'll be very rare for me to reference somebody who's who's owned in more than half of uh, leagues, like at least in one of the in one of the
0: platforms. So you're not going to be recommending that people go and grab David Pasternak.
1: No, and, and because because what what value am I adding to you by telling you that you know this guy's really good. I mean if there is some fan, fantastic amazing stat that I can pull out for from one of those players maybe every once in a while I, I'll slide that in but for the the most part uh, I always try and focus on on players that are going to be available you know in at least half the league now that might not help you depending on your league you know you might look at this and go well you know I. I I, I don't have a deep league, you, you offering me these guys, you know, they're, they're not really going to add anything to my team. And that, that's entirely fair, but I'm, I'm just looking at it and thinking that if I'm going to give you, you know, tips that might offer some kind of help, uh, it has to be players that are going to be available. Uh, and so that, that's sort of where the focus starts uh, for, for those uh, weekly notebooks on, on the athletic. And so then um, once I kind of come up, I'll, I'll, You know, I'll come up with a list of 15 to 20 names that are, you know, of interest. And then I'll start digging in to see what kind of, um, stats that, you know, might be fantasy relevant and, and might provide an indication of, of what's happening, uh, going forward. Like, like, you know, it's funny, you know, I've, I've been doing this for so long, uh, that when, when I first started doing fantasy analysis, it was as simple as, Oh, in the last five games, this guy has six points. So pick him up. Um, but you know, I would look at that now, and well, if in the last five games he has two shots on goal, but somehow has six points, I wouldn't get that excited about it because I, I you know, I, I don't think it's going to sustain itself if he's not generating um, you know, the underlying numbers. And, and so, you know, now that we have all that information available to us, um, that's what I try and put, put some focus on that, that you want to see what the underlying numbers are and whether that supports, uh, you know, hot or cold streaks that are, that are going on. And so that, that's, you know, the, the gist of it. I mean, th- this isn't, uh, you know, rocket science by any means, but it's, uh, I, I think that's sort of the, the focus that I put on it when I'm, uh, going for those weekly notebooks. Now, uh, for the projections at at the start of the year. Um, I mean, a lot of that is, is, um, (laughs) it's weighted obviously, um, you know, multiple seasons worth of, of numbers and and the more recent seasons are weighted uh, more heavily and that, and that's fine. But then, you know, I always say when you're doing those projections, there's a bit of art that goes into that science. Um, and, and so you have to kind of make some adjustments based on, you know, is a player's situation changing? Uh, are they going to get more ice time? Are they on a new team? Um, do they have better line mates? And, 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 and so all of those things sort of require some subjectivity on my part because, you know, I, I can make a judgment that yes, this player is going to have a better situation going forward, or he's going to uh, have a, a better team uh, for the coming season. Uh, but that, that stuff can change kind of in a moment's notice, particularly with line mates, you know, I, as much as I can, um, you know, project where I think a player should play. Uh, it t- it can take a coach ten minutes to decide. No, I'm going. <laughs> I'm changing it, and I don't really have any control over that. So, um, that that's one of the things that uh, you know. When I'm looking at, at say a player like, in, uh, I'm thinking right now of somebody like say Zach Cassian um you know when he's going to play with McDavid and Drysdale at the start of the year and oh well th- there's there's upside there to getting Zach Cassian because uh, you know anybody who's playing with players that great there's a chance that they're going to score points and um but then you know you know he either he gets suspended or they move him down to the fourth line and all of a sudden Zach Cassian's fantasy value kind of vanishes in a moment and, and and so you have to be be wary of um you know I guess counting too much on, on what the linemate uh, impact is going to be. I mean, like, you have to take it into account, but you have to keep in mind that, you know, just because they're, they're starting the season on that line doesn't mean they're going to end the season on that line or they're going to end the first week on that line. There's, that, that's one of the, the, I guess, more challenging parts about hockey projections is that um, you, you don't know exactly um, how much or, or where a player is going to play in, in the lineup. And, and, I, and I think that is, is different with hockey um, compared to really any other sport you know in, in football you you have a pretty good idea who the starting running back is going to be and who the starting quarterback is going to be and probably who the starting receivers are going to be for every team and so it's not as though somebody just kind of goes from being oh, a a regular contributor to all of a sudden not playing in in the same way that uh, you can in hockey because i guess the you know the variety of of lines and, and the way, you know, the, the roster makeup is, it's just different. And, and so I think it adds a little more challenge to
0: it. Yeah, for sure. Actually, I never thought of it that way. Like, it's never like, okay, this receiver is playing with Tom Brady and then this receiver is playing with the backup quarterbacks. You definitely want to pay attention to that. Yeah. And hockey, you're always paying attention to the lines. You bring up an interesting point also. Like, I wonder if these season long projections, maybe we put too much focus on at the end of the year, like looking back and seeing what we got right or wrong. Maybe it's more about you're coming up with the projections of what you think is going to happen, at least at the start. And then you have your articles every week to like give updates and tell you when to switch things. Like James Neal, another Edmonton example was great at Mm -hmm. the start of the season on the top. Absolutely. Yeah. now he's also useless. Well, I think he's he's injured and Cassian suspended, so they're useless for other regions.
1: Yeah, but that's that's a, a a really good point. And and now here's the thing: is that like I I you know as as much as this is fantasy hockey, I still take the projection seriously um, because I think when it comes to drafting, you know that's you can get huge value out of um, you know if, if your projections are good, you're going to end up with better value out of the draft than than the other players in your league more likely. Oh yeah, um, but. It, it is. I mean, in, in every fantasy sport, you have you have to be kind of adjusting and, and making moves throughout the season. And, and that hockey is no different. I mean, I think football might be the the worst for that in, in terms of, you know, your draft may not matter that much if, if because of injuries and you have to you know rotate players in and out. But hockey, you know, if you give yourself, you know, a, a decent core of a team, you can do a whole lot of moving uh, around the edges um, as the season goes along. And, and it, go, yeah, it goes to that point of, you know, the a guy like uh, Neil who starts the season on fire and, and while wow, everybody race, races to the waiver wire to get James Neil. And then at some point, um, you know, the, the ride stops and, and so everybody dumps James Neal and, and moves on. And, and there, are, there are a whole lot of players that, that have that kind of contribution, um, you know, uh, for fantasy hockey. you know, not, not everybody is uh, uh, a, a marquee player who, who you can, can just kind of pencil in for 90 points or 100 points. And, and that, you know, those, those guys are great, uh, but there's a lot of uh, maneuvering you can do um, on the fringes uh, that can help your team
0: yeah for sure so it would be great to like have you like on an off-season podcast i'd love to just continue talking strategy with you uh but I, we got some actual players to discuss so i'd love to get your takes mm-hmm. on all the latest news uh injuries and stuff from the weekend let's start with injuries we have to of course start with our podcast namesake eric carlson <laughs> yeah. out of nowhere we just like i saw i was watching the game actually the the sharks game against winnipeg i actually tuned in in the, in the end like around the third period i noticed eric carlson wasn't on the ice i checked on twitter and someone was tweeting like oh eric carlson hasn't been on the ice for a while i was like oh that's a bummer Maybe he's going to end up missing the Saturday game. Next thing you know, yesterday, news comes out. He's got a broken thumb out for the season very frustrating actually my, i drafted tomas hurdle on my uh one of my fantasy teams and mm-hmm. he's already out for most of the. i think out for the season and i traded for eric carlson recently and now he's out so bad luck in fantasy obviously bad luck for the san jose sharks uh, so carlson now ends the season with 40 points in 56 games so that's a 59 point pace which is his worst pace since 2010 11 so uh, before we dig into the current impacts like what are your thoughts on carlson's value now going into next season like should we consider him as just like a 60 point guy moving forward is this the new eric carlson especially with the injury concern or do you still think he has the potential to bounce back to like 70 plus point seasons that he had even though now he's going into his 30s
1: well here's the the thing is i would i would say it's probably most fair uh to value him in in the 60 point range um but keep i guess kind of leave room on the upside that yes I, i i still think it's conceivable there can be a 70 point season in eric carlson's um you know in his 30s uh but i mean part of it is he's you know that San Jose team. You know, I, yeah, they've had some some brutal injuries um, right now, but I don't I don't see a real quick turnaround for them. You know, if you if you look at that roster, it, they're awfully thin, uh, and so I, I don't quite know how that's going to work in terms of how much offense they're going to generate uh, in the next few years. But like, if we're just looking, say, ahead to next season, I'm probably I'm probably fine with Eric Carlson being valued in the you know sixty point type. Uh, score, uh, because I, I don't, uh, I don't trust really that the sharks are going to have enough of a supporting cast to, um, you know, to, to be dramatically better than what they are this year. And, you know, given, given what's happened with Carlson the past couple of seasons, you know, that kind of tempers the enthusiasm from what, you know, from what he had, had been. Uh, it was best years in Ottawa, so I'm, I, I hold out some hope because I don't imagine that his talent is going to completely go away. But uh, at the same time, you know, when you get into your 30s, injuries tend to become more common, not less. And uh, and like I say, the supporting cast in San Jose doesn't offer uh, a great deal of hope for me uh, for for what's going to happen. Uh, in the ne- at least in the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, so that is a bummer. And I guess slowly we'll have to So I'll, I'll try to already brace myself for your 60-point projection <laughs> for Eric Carlson next yeah, week yeah. so I won't get mad. And hey, we don't even need to change the podcast name because we could just start referencing John Carlson who's taken over as one there of the you top go. defensemen in the league. Uh, but yeah, speaking of the Sharks being thin, they're going to be even thinner next week because Evander Kane has been suspended for three games after elbowing Neil Pionk, And as mm-hmm. we know, Kane wasn't happy about that. He went off on that on Twitter a little bit. Uh, so here were the lines yesterday And somehow they still are winning games. They beat Minnesota 2-0 yesterday. So they had LeBanc, Meyer, and Thornton on, I guess, line one. And then Barkley Goudreau with Marlowe and Stefan Nozen on the second line. So that's already, we're seeing a huge drop in skill on the second line there. Then we had LeBanc, Marlowe, Meyer, Thornton, and Burns on the top power play. Who would have expected at some point this season that Thornton and Marlowe would be skiting on the top power play? Um, I guess the one big impact I'd like to dig into is like Brent Burns saw 77% of the power play time yesterday, which is one of his highest... Of the season, He's generally been either splitting power play time with Carlson or even, you know, not getting the most power play time. Uh, and now Burns' assist yesterday brought him to five points in his last four games. Still, he's only at 39 points in 58 games on the season. So that's only a 55 point pace. Do you think now with Carlson injured, do you see this as something that's going to benefit Burns for the rest of the season? Like, do you think for the people who have held on this whole time, they'll get the Burns of old for at least the last couple of months?
1: Well, probably some version of it, like like you say, that there will be more power play time available to Burns. And so I think you have to, um, you know, at least be a little bit optimistic about that. Uh, at the same time, like Burns hasn't been the, uh, I guess, the, the game changer that he he has been in recent years. Like um, in, in terms of not, not just putting up points, but like, you know, when he, he's a defenseman who's generating four shots per game, that's, you know, a massive difference maker um and and so you know this year not not only is he not generating shots at that rate and he's not scoring at his typical rate um but i mean if you're in a league with plus minus he's also a massive minus player And so uh when you when you kind of put all those things together uh you know he hasn't really lived up to expectations and now like you say if you've held on to him and and you know there there probably wasn't a great time to trade Brent Burns uh this year unless you unless you realize really early that you you wanted out uh but it, it, if you've held on to him you know this far, you may as well uh kind of ride him out to the end because the you know the opportunity here is that you know he he's going to be the number one guy on on that San jose blue line, and because they're so thin like they're probably just gonna turn him loose in in his you know his full roverness uh where you know he he can Create as many offensive opportunities as possible because they don't just don't have enough I mean my goodness even when you list those those lines and a power play that has Marlowe and Thornton on it um in two thousand and twenty uh that that's you know a big problem and yeah. and, I, and i don't and I don't know how. I, I, this is going to my my point from before i don't know how this turns around like even even if you you know take the, those those lines and you say okay well we, we're adding evander kane and thomas shertle and Logan guturi okay well that team might be adequate or okay but that team can't be a contender like there's just not enough talent there and so uh i i, I don't know you know where this goes long term but if we're talking kind of rest of the season there's probably a Uh, a decent chance for Burns to be pretty productive the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point. Like the the thinner they are, the more they'll just tell Brent Burns to go and shoot and do his thing. So maybe it's actually better for him and we'll get those elite shot numbers that he used to put up. Uh, then, okay, another huge injury, of course, is Connor McDavid in Edmonton. He's had two to three weeks with a quad injury. Uh, this hasn't slowed down the Oilers. They've won three of their last four games and the loss was to Tampa Bay, so you can't really blame him there. They're playing Carolina today. Uh, we're recording this at 2 p.m., so we won't be referencing the later Sunday night <laughs> games. Uh, so with McDavid out the Oilers basically have one scoring line. It's kind of like San Jose now. They've got Drysidle, mm-hmm. Nugent Hopkins, and Yamamoto, and all three of them are on amazing runs right now. Like Drysidle's up to 92 points on the season after his goal and assist versus Florida yesterday it looks like he's gonna run away with the art ross trophy i can't see anyone catching him at this point uh, then you've got nugent hopkins to assist yesterday so he's on a nice roll and yamamoto who still might be available to some people to add in fantasy mm-hmm. he has a, a goal to assist and four shots that was just yesterday up to 14 points in his last 12 games now he's on the top power play with Connor mcdavid out that was the one thing he was missing so got to imagine yamamoto has got to be pretty much a must add in all formats deep or shallow at this point right
1: Oh, I think so, um, and and this goes to the you know when you're playing with really good players that it, it's always worth keeping an eye on who who might be that you know the third member on the line, and and so you know Dreisaitl and, and Nugent Hopkins are, are established proven players, and and so you you have a little more belief in, in their production, um, and and so in in, in Yamamoto's case, like it, you know since he's been called up, he's been a really you know solid contributor, and given the Oilers, um, you know a, a second scoring line when McDavid is healthy. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, he, yes, you have to add him and, and like, if he's not on power play one, when McDavid returns, you, you still may want to keep Yamamoto, but I think that that can, can be a bit of a tipping point, um, you know, depending, uh, on, on how productive that, that line remains at, at five on five, but, uh, I think you know Yamamoto, and, and because he has been available for at least in the past few weeks, he, he's been widely available. You've been able to uh, go grab him off the waiver wire, and so I think, g- given this opportunity that he's had right now, and given how productive he's been since coming up from the American Hockey League, I, I'd add him and, and hope that it continues for a while. But and th- this kind of goes to the point though. That he doesn't have a, a real long track record in, in the National Hockey League of, of being productive, and, and sometimes when you have a player who comes up and has a you know a good stretch where he has 14 points in 12 games, you know of course you're going to add him. But you also have to be prepared that you know that that may that may not be Kyler Yamamoto's uh, you know sea level. He he may um, he may fall off, and all of a sudden, after he goes pointless in four or five games, you might say, okay, well that 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 we've had fun with Kyler Yamamoto, and mm. we're moving on. Uh, but you know the fact that I mean, if if he's playing with Drysaitl and uh, and Nugent Hopkins, you know he may not run into the you know that dry spell. You know, the, being being on Drysaitl's line can do, uh, can do a lot of good for a player's
0: production yeah for sure hey re- current uh, leader for the art roster so you definitely want the player yep. with him but yeah you're right we've obviously talked about a couple oilers already who used to be really valuable and now they're in everyone's free agency <laughs> that's right. so we'll see what happens definitely I actually we'll be going through the episode and I'll throw some other names at you that seem like kind of must ads quote unquote maybe that's a, mm-hmm. a lame phrase mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll we can compare those guys to Yamamoto as we go uh so I'll get to the next injury now we go to Columbus Seth Jones underwent uh, an ankle surgery and he's going to be out eight to ten weeks and Cam Atkinson is also out with an ankle injury as a sprained ankle. He's going to be out two to three weeks. This Don't forget, Alex Wenberg's already injured. Josh Anderson is out with a shoulder injury. He might be back soon. That would be nice. Uh, Eunice Corposalo is, of course, still out with his knee injury. Uh, Maybe the injuries are finally starting to catch up to the Blue Jackets. They've lost four in a row going into today's game versus New Jersey. Uh, So, looking at the impacts here, as expected, Zach Wierenski has been seeing the lion's share of the power play time with Jones out. There is a new name now that's getting second power play time. Marcus Nudivara. He's seen an uptick in his deployment. He's jumped to, like, 18 to 20 Twenty-four minutes per game when he was playing close to like 10 minutes per game before and he's also on the second power play uh, he had a goal and six shots over his last couple of games so is there anything here now talking in deeper leagues if someone is suffering from a injury to a defenseman say a seth jones injury is marcus nudivara someone to look at or is he just not going to be an impactful player this year
1: well I, I would say i don't know yet on on whether you should uh jump for marcus nudivara i in, in general if you ask me like is, you know, is he a good defenseman? Is it nice for Columbus to have him? Cause I think they got him with a seventh round pick years ago. Um, then I'd say, yes, like, uh, uh they, they got good value out of him and and he's turned into a pretty nice NHL defenseman. I haven't seen enough production out of him in the NHL to, to kind of go, Oh, this is somebody I, I really want to add to my fantasy team. Now, you know, as you say, the, the ice time has gone up since Jones is, is out. Um, but I still haven't you know we're still kind of really new in this in this uh world where Marcus Nudivera is getting some power play time and um, and, and it's on a Columbus team that isn't exactly, uh, doing gangbusters offensively. You know, and some of that is due to the injuries. Um, you know, they got, they got thinned out by free agency. And then when you start knocking, you know, Wenberg and Atkinson and, and Anderson out of the lineup, it, it gets pretty, uh, pretty lean up front. And mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'd, I'd be wary, I guess, about, about taking, uh, somebody like Nudivara, like somebody like Wierenski, who you can count on as, uh as an offensive producer sure you know by all means uh that's someone who who you're interested in but nudie I, I i'm still on the wait and see because i i just haven't had him in enough of an offensive role uh at this point in his career
0: okay yeah that makes sense so maybe we could tell people add him to your watch lists, someone to yeah. pay attention to but you don't need to rush for him and then i guess i'll ask we've talked about basic on every episode for the past like four weeks but why not one more what's your take on what's going to happen in the columbus net once if slash once Corposalo uh, comes back because Merzlikens continues to be a bright spot, like even during this losing streak, he's been so, so good. And everyone is arguing, like, is Merzlikens now the for sure number one goalie, even once Corposalo comes back? Or do you think it goes back to 50-50? Or is it Corposalo's net since he was the starter before he got injured? No no way to know. But what's your what's your best guess right now?
1: Well, here's the thing is, is you know, we, we would love to say, oh, well, you know, a guy can't lose his, his job due to injury. But of course you can. Uh, if the guy who comes in to replace you, you know, plays out of his mind, and and Merzlikens kind of has, uh, you know, that he has a, a 930 save percentage um, since getting called up, and and look, if if he can continue to play at that level, it's going to be tough for Corpusallo to to kind of work his way right back into the the starting role. Like I, I and, and now I would look at it and expect that Columbus will give Corpusallo you know a chance to play. They're not going to you know bury him on the bench for the rest of the season, uh, but. I, I think it, it kind of goes that if Merslickins is playing, you know, at this level, the rest of the way, it's going to be hard to knock him out. Um, but be, between Merslickins and Corpus neither one of them has a real, you know, I would say firm grasp on the starting job to the point that, you know, if you have a couple bad starts, well, that could be enough to, uh, to right. swing the momentum to the, to the other guy, you know, because neither one of them has sort of established that, yes, they are legit starting goaltenders in the league. Like, like if, if Carrie price, um, uh, you know, go, go through a rough season. We still know he's the starting goalie in Montreal next season, right? With, with either of these goalies in Columbus, you know, two, two bad weeks. And, and there's probably, they're probably ready for a change. And, and so I, I, um, I think that that's sort of the way you have to play it. Like, obviously if you have Merz Lickens, you ride him as long as he's playing uh, this well. Uh, but you, you kind of keep it in your mind that, that that this may not go on forever. I I don't think his, his numbers prior to the NHL indicated that, that, that this would be the kind of um performance he would have. And and so I'd be I'd be a I'd be wary just in general. Um but that that's I guess sort of where I am on it is, you know, you're obviously happy if you have Merzlickens, but I also think that there's a you know there there's a, a decent chance that the Corpusello takes over the starting job at some point by the end of the year.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really good point that uh, we often don't consider. Like, all it takes for some of these players is just a couple bad games, and then everyone, like, loses their mind. So, yeah, I think for if people have Corpusalo out in their free agency, you might as well add him and hope the timing works out for you. That maybe Merzlikan struggles right around the time that Alo is healthy. Uh But, yeah, mm-hmm. for now... It's hard to argue with what Merce Lickens is doing. So in the end, we don't know. And you're you're right. It's probably just going to depend on goalie performance. I'm sure even Tortorella doesn't know how the uh, deployment's going to go for the rest of the way. Uh, you mentioned the Habs and Carey Price. So let's go to our next injury here. Another defenseman that uh, fantasy owners have been scrambling to replace is Shea Weber. He's going to be out four to six weeks with an ankle injury. At first there was like there were tweets coming out saying maybe his career is over. So I guess it's not that bad. <laughs> thankfully. Uh, but, you know, they also have Jonathan Drouin now day-to-day with an ankle injury. Oh, these ankles. Uh, people are having trouble with mm-hmm. them. Uh, so he didn't play yesterday. Uh, we've already talked on previous episodes about how Jeff Petrie and Ben Sherrod are getting slight boosts with Weber out. Uh, but since we're in Montreal, the player I want to ask you about is Nick Suzuki, who's assist yesterday. And I saw you brought him up in your latest article mm-hmm. on The Athletic. Yep. So, yeah, now he's still, since he wrote that article, he continues to produce. He had an assist yesterday. Uh, Suzuki now has 11 points in his last 11 games. Are we at a point now where Suzuki should be added in most four? Formats if he's still out there like would you consider him okay tell me if this is a crazy uh suggestion is he maybe the most valuable hab to own outside of the top line like better than domi better than kovalchuk better than even joel armia who's been good like it seems like nick suzuki is really on a surge here i guess i could also ask you to compare him to a kyler yamamoto
1: yeah yeah that's um well i think i think he's he's more valuable yeah than sort of the second tier montreal guys because um and, and i'm looking at this sort of you know speculatively is that you know as as montreal fades out of uh, playoff contention and th- they seem to be doing that uh it would seem that a guy a, a rookie center like suzuki who who's starting to um you know hand, handle more responsibility and getting more offensive production that they would keep giving him reps. right that that there should be no point you know down the stretch where all of a sudden nick suzuki finds himself on the fourth line because um you know because results weren't great for a game or two like you know they they should be giving him um, a, a chance to play on a scoring line as, as he is right now and, and riding that uh, the rest of the way, because, you know, well, really you're not playing for, for this season uh, if you're Montreal. And so I think, you know, Suzuki, um, you know, he, he has creativity and, and, and his track record prior to the NHL uh, would lead you to believe that, that, you know, he has the offensive chops to carry this kind of thing forward. Uh, and and so, yeah, I'd be I'd be fine with adding adding Nick Suzuki in, in a lot of leagues, um, because I, I think the the situation in Montreal is such that uh, their good young players should get a lot of ice time down the stretch, and, and certainly like when we get beyond the trade deadline, that. You know, Suzuki should be a uh, kind of a cornerstone piece for a team that probably isn't going to be a contender this year.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you never know. Maybe Kovalchuk gets traded at the deadline that opens up like more opportunities Mm -hmm. for Suzuki. As far as these other Habs, uh, maybe we could play a quick game of drop or not. Like the Habs have a boring (laughs) schedule next week. They play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So you probably aren't going to be fitting some of these guys into your roster on a couple of the days. If you have a Kovalchuk who, you know, started super hot, but he's now pointless in four, Uh, you have Max Domi, who's a assist yesterday broke a five-game pointless streak but he hasn't taken more than two shots Mm -hmm. recently in any of his games then you have Yoel Armia who was great he he now though has been cold he he had a four-game pointless streak that was you know ended yesterday he was reunited with Max Domi I guess with Druan out so I think that's good for Armia and hopefully Domi but are you still holding faith in any of these guys or are you ready to let them go in some formats
1: yeah, i would i i i was i would say i am pretty flexible with any of those guys you know that that Ar- armia to me is like he he's a, a nice um you know kind of sneaky value guy if you're in a deeper league because because he gives you a ton of hits um, you know, if you happen to, if that, that happens to matter in your league. Um, and, and so, you know, the fact that he gives you hits and shots that, that sort of augments the, you know, okay production, uh, that he's had I any mean, of what 27 points in 47 games, like that doesn't blow you away. But when you add in the fact that, you know, he has 128 hits and 137 shots on goal, like he kind of gets you, uh, he gets you some some stuff in those other categories and makes them worthwhile. Uh, in the case of Domi, like I, I, it's bizarre in some ways to to have him go from, you know, last year was was such a great year for him, uh, to him sort of falling back th- this year and, and you know and now basically losing, um, you know, losing uh, uh, his place on the depth chart to Suzuki, um, you know and. and and, and that, that he's, you know, his production has has dropped this dramatically is, uh, like to me, I, I'd be probably fine with with dropping Max Domi, but it, again, I I can, I can see Montreal, you know, I don't presume that they're going to get rid of Max Domi, so I would bet that for the rest of the season they want to try and figure out Max Domi so that they can, you know, get him back to being a. Um, a major contributor for them, because I think you know for for as flawed as Montreal has been over the past few years, what they um, what they managed to find uh with with Domi last year was you know kind of uh, a bonus and and now it, it would be a shame to to have it turn out that oh that was just a one year thing and and you know he's going to be back to being a mediocre player for the rest of the rest of the time and and you know and maybe it's as simple as you know when, when the canadians if if they're healthy and in is back and they they have maybe a better balance in their lines that uh that they'll get uh, some better production from these secondary players but um, I guess the, the, as it is right now, I, I, I'd be fairly flexible on, on any of them. And, and if there was somebody who I like better on the waiver wire, it'd be fine to just drop them and move along
0: yeah it makes sense it's it is a real bummer like max domi like going into the season i wouldn't have considered him one of the second tier habs you know i thought he was one of like their mm-hmm. top stars and he had over 70 Absolutely. points yeah now he's like i dropped him actually in a couple of my leagues including uh, yeah. a very competitive keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league so if i, if I <laughs> let him go there then i guess other people could let him go unless you want to think that now i just uh, gave him an anti-jinx and he'll be good now but i, I wouldn't bank on it uh so over on the out juries side so happier news uh, it's a term we yep. made up so we've got victor olofsson back for the sabers and he had a great returning. He had a couple goals, including the OT winner versus Columbus on Thursday. Buffalo plays Toronto today. I assume Olafsson will be back where he's been all year on the top line with and Reinhardt and also on the top power play. Olafsson is now up to 18 goals and 38 points in 43 games for the Sabres. Maybe could have been in the Calder conversation if he didn't have that untimely mm-hmm. injury. Uh, I'd assume it goes without saying he's a sure must-add all over the place. Like He's only 55% owned in Yahoo, so I guess some people dropped him in leagues with few IR spots, but to me, you want Olaf like, even more than Yamamoto and Suzuki. Like, he'd be the highest-tier free agent, potentially, that we're talking about, right? Yeah,
1: I think so. Uh, and, and a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, when you're playing with Jack Eichel, you know, that's a really good opportunity. And, and, and again, this is a Buffalo team that isn't overwhelmed with uh, with scoring options, so Olofsson, you know, should be pretty settled into that spot, um, you know, now that he's back and, and healthy. And, and like, like you say, like, if he had stayed, you know, had stayed healthy and not missed this time, he, he'd be, I guess, you know, closer in, in that, in the Calder trophy race. Like, I, I don't know, um, whether he'd be up, up there to knock, um, you know, McCarr or Quinn Hughes out, but maybe like, like if, if, if he could continue to score at this rate and, and hadn't missed that time, it, it's certainly possible because th- those offensive numbers will, uh, certainly draw eyeballs. And so, yeah, I, the, if, if he's available, I would certainly grab Victor Olofsson because, um, you know, for, for his, Poor as, as the Sabres have been playing. I think Eichel, um, you know, has, has really had a fantastic season and, and he'll help drive that offense. And, and if and if he's you know, creating chances and, and Olofsson is there to benefit, um, obviously Olofsson could be a, a pretty sneaky ad for you at this point.
0: Yeah, for sure. I agree. And like speaking of Eichel, he's on a tear. He has 22 points in his last 19 games. He's like pacing for 105 points now on the season. And also Rasmus Dalin has really heated up lately. He had a cold stretch, but he now has 13 points in his last 14 games. Currently on pace for 58 points, but trending for higher lately so yeah it seems like another lost season for the sabers but i'm curious to know do you have a sense now of what you'll be projecting for guys like eichel and dalin next season like are we gonna be for sure talking about a 100 plus point eichel and maybe like a 60 plus point dalin
1: well i wouldn't be surprised if uh you know if we're looking at 100 point eichel um uh because you know the, the his his you know first few seasons in the league it's not like they were you know even remotely disappointing i thought he was really uh, good and productive player but he, he's he's taken it to another level this year and and i think um you know a a player of that caliber who is um you know moved it up kind of to to this next level and and is still kind of in his prime he's going to be uh was he 23 years old i think right now that you know we've got probably a couple more years where you really think that that eichel um you know those are his best chances to be a 100 point performer uh and and so for uh as tough as it is to do it on a sabres team that doesn't offer him you know a great supporting cast i have to assume that you know a he's going to play a bunch um, like he's playing 22 minutes a game this year. That's that's a lot, uh, but I also don't don't necessarily see that changing in in you know the next year or two. And so I I think you know Eichel is probably going to be somebody who we're projecting at least around 100 points, whether it's you know above or below by a few points. I I can't say today, but uh, and, and then in Darlene's case. Uh, the the fact that he got off to uh, you know, I guess such a slow start, and and both in terms of, of point production, but just his overall play, like if if you, you looked at kind of his, his impact um, in terms of shots and and you know expected goals and all those things, it, it, it was not great uh, at the start of this year, mm-hmm. and, and and that's tough because he was coming off this season, whereas an eighteen year old defenseman, he was like the the most productive eighteen year old defenseman I think since Phil Housley, you know, and, and so that, that's almost forty years. Um, and, and so the fact that he, he didn't, you know, carry it on right away at the start of this year, kind of, you know, raise some eyebrows and, and makes you wonder whether he's, um, you know, a, as good as advertised. Uh, but I think, you know, it does seem that he's, he's finding his way back to, to being that player. And so, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if I'm projecting 60, uh, 60 points, uh, for Dalim um, next season, because I probably projected him for 60 this season. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I was pretty high on him coming into this year. So the fact that he got off to such a slow start made me kind of do a double take. And, and so, yeah, uh, I, I think if, if he finishes strong this year, I mean, if he finishes strong, he might, he might be pushing 50 points. And, uh, I, I would think that, uh, You know, he's still a teenager and so, you know, it it should continue to get better and, you know, God willing, the the Sabres will will add more talent and and that will make it a little bit easier for guys like Eichel and Darlene to, to stay productive.
0: Yeah. I mean, they add talent. Uh, the other thing is they have to actually play that talent like a like Jeff Skinner. <laughs> they added him. I don't know what they're doing <laughs> yeah. with him. But yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to see uh, to compare your Darlene projection to your Eric Carlson projection for next season. Mm-hmm. So you have higher... Yeah,
1: that, that's a that's a good point, because, like, you know, in, in general, like if I'm talking, you know, my, my general way of, of projecting, I am much more in, inclined to, to like the, the proven performer. Right, which means I, I would tilt towards Carlson. Um, but if he's the proven performer who's also, you know, missed a bunch of time with injuries, and uh, and you and you get a little more uncertain about that, um, you know, it's possible that that uh, you know, if if Darlene, you know, has a strong finish this year, then maybe, maybe I, I am thinking of him in that same neighborhood.
0: Yeah, and speaking of Carlson's, we've got another outjury over in Vegas where William Carlson is back from his broken finger. And interestingly, he didn't jump back to his regular spot over the past couple of years with Riley Smith and Jonathan So Instead, Paul Stasny held that job and William Carlson bumped Chandler Stevenson back to the bottom six. And Carlson was centering Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. So not too shabby. Maybe even a better pair of line mates, some would say. Or either way, I love the spot that Carlson lands in because we saw potential uh, rumors that he could start in the bottom six. And, and that didn't last. And so, so far, Carlson, he's played three games, uh, no points, but three shots versus Minnesota on Tuesday. Then he had a couple of assists versus St. Louis on Thursday, and then no points, but a nice five shots in the weird one nothing win over the <laughs> yeah. Islanders yesterday. Uh, so, do you see this new pair of line mates as an improvement or a downgrade for Wild Biller? Does it just end up being a wash? Like, it, right now, he's currently got 36 points in 52 games. So that's a 57-point pace on the season. Is that around the neighborhood you expect him to stay at rest of the way?
1: Well, if, if he stays with Stone and Pacioretty, I think I might like him a little bit more, uh, which is, um, you know, it's not to say that, uh, you know, Marcia so and Riley Smith uh, weren't good linemates for William Carlson. Obviously, they were. The, uh, for, I think it worked out really well for all three of them. But as, as uh, Vegas has been adding over the past few years, and, and you know, I guess... Sort of because that Carlson line, um, you know, established that all right, they're they're the top line. They're when when they took the team to the Stanley Cup final. Um, when, once they've added guys like Patchett and Stone, they've sort of, I guess, theoretically or or by name, been the second line. Um, but I mean, Mark Stone is on uh, nobody's second line, right? Like he's he's an elite elite uh, uh, player, and so. If if theoretically that is Vegas's second line, well, with Stone and Pacioretty, and then Pacioretty is having a a fantastic season, you know, one of his best uh, in in at least a few years. So that if Carlson is is, you know plugged in between those guys, I I think that that might actually give him a little more offensive upside. And now, so when if his pace is for a fifty-seven point pace, I'd say I would probably expect it to be a little bit better. Um, the rest of the way, I, I remember early, early this season writing, uh, I think, uh, Carlson made it into the, uh, the notebook on the athletic where I talked about, cause he got off to this slow start, but he had, he had such good, uh, underlying numbers that I was like, you know, it should get better, um, for him, um, you know, based on, you know, his shot, shot totals and, and expected goals, uh, when he was on the ice that, that, you know, he, he should have some, um, some better goal totals uh, coming, and then he got hurt. And and so it kind of, you know, you you, you lose track of it a little bit. But I think if we're just looking ahead for the rest of this season and Carlson is playing between Stone and Pacioretty, that's a pretty good spot to get dropped into. So I'd expect him to be pretty strong the rest of the way
0: yeah so hey i actually got him out of free agency in one of my leagues he was dropped <laughs> yeah, by that,
1: that that's a pretty good good pickup right there <laughs> yes
0: yeah, so i'm pretty happy about that i think the, the person who owned him had a full ir and i guess uh carlson yeah. was the one who didn't make the cut and hopefully it'll work out well for me all right so how about one more injury uh, and then we could go and talk about the big trade, which I'm sure a lot of people want to get your thoughts on, especially because Pittsburgh has played today. So we could actually get some Sunday coverage in here. But uh, first, the injury over in Colorado, they're fighting the injury bug again. we recall Ranton and Landeskog hurt before. Now they've got Nazem Kadri out four to six weeks with a lower body injury. And then to add insult to injury, uh, Philip Grubauer left yesterday's game versus LA. Uh, Ian Cole rammed his butt into Grubauer's <laughs> yes. body. And, and that was it for the game. Well, we, ha- we don't know yet. Maybe you know, maybe you have some insider info, Scott, but I don't know yet if uh, Grubauer is going to be out long term or not. I guess like regarding Grubauer, the advice is easy: like go grab Pavel Francouz if he's available until we know Grubauer's prognosis. Because you've got a you know a good goalie on a good team. And then as yeah. far as uh, forwards go, Andre Burakovsky right now seems like the clear beneficiary of this Kadri injury because he's jumped up to the top line with McKinnon and Rantanen, as well as on the top power play with those guys and Gog and Makar. Like I feel like you can't get better deployment than that. And yeah. <laughs> and Burakovsky has taken full advantage so far. He had a Goal and a power play assist versus Washington on Thursday. Uh no points yesterday in that surprising 3 1 loss to LA. But he was already hot before. He's now up to five goals and 13 assists in his last fourteen games. So he's been scorching and now he's getting this deployment bump. So I gotta add him to the conversation of the Olafsons and the yamamotos How does burakovsky rank with these guys?
1: Yeah, he, he's definitely in the in that neighborhood. Uh I would uh probably ahead of both. Uh I, I think. Wow. Um because, because and, and and maybe it's not as long term. Like Olofsson maybe has, has better uh a long term projection um because you you expect him to be on that top line for the rest of the season. Uh but if we were looking co- sort of in the immediate, um I think Borokovsky is um a fantastic pickup because uh you know what coming into the season, you know, uh, I think on, on the Athletic I wrote something about uh, you know, breakthrough players or or sleepers, one one of those uh things. And Borokovsky and Vrana the two guys from uh that had washington in their in their backgrounds uh were were guys who were, were sort of my headliners of the, of that article and Burakovsky got off to a really good start but then he kind of went through a a dry spell in the in the middle portion of the season and then and as you say he's been like super hot lately uh but i think all along like even when he was in uh washington he would go through you know stretches now maybe not quite as, as long as this but where he would really flash his talent and you would and you would see a uh this skilled winger who can who has good size and can score and you're and you're kind of imagining what could be uh well, I think you know Colorado is sort of finding out you know that, that they made a pretty good investment uh to to get him from washington because uh, you know, that they're, they're you know he already has a career high forty three points but you know we we still have you know a third of the season to go uh where he he's gonna um you know and end up sort of obliterating his his previous totals and 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 right now. Um, that if you get a chance to play with uh Nathan McKinnon I mean goodness that's uh there there aren't many better spots to to land and so kind of in in the short term uh, I'd be happy to take uh, Burakovsky ahead of just about anybody.
0: Yeah, definitely makes sense. Like, how can you argue with good deployment and he's on a hot streak? So it's all yeah. coming together for him. Alright, so I guess now let's dig into this big trade that happened early in the week. We've already had Ben and Lewis discuss it on our short shifts episodes, <laughs> but now we get the expert Scott Cullen to weigh in <laughs> on Jason Zucker. I know you already wrote about him also in your last notebook. Yeah. Uh, so he gets sent to the Penguins from Minnesota in exchange for Alex Galchenya, Kalen Addison, and a conditional 2020 first-round pick. Uh, Zucker's Jumped right to the top line with Crosby. And he didn't pick up any points versus Tampa Bay on Tuesday. He did have five shots. He made up for it with two goals versus the Hab versus the Habs on Thursday and then so far this game isn't over yet. It's right now 5 to 1 for Pittsburgh over Detroit with 10 minutes to go and Zucker does already have an assist on a Sidney Crosby goal. So obviously a great spot for him on the top line with Crosby. He's also seeing second power play time. Uh so what is the upside now for Jason Zucker for the rest of the way? Like he only had 29 points in 45 games for the Wild. So that was a 53 point pace, which isn't nothing, but not super exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now he seems to be in a much better situation. His best season ever. Was 2017 18 when he put up 64 points, 33 goals. Do you think that that's the upside we can expect for the rest of the way this time? Could he be even higher? Like, how much should we be urging people to go grab Jason Zucker if they can, maybe even compared to these other guys we've brought up?
1: Yeah, well, I think for the rest of the way, um, my inclination would be that he should score better pace than the 64 points in 82 games. Now, <laughs> a lot of this is projection based on you're playing with Sidney Crosby, and, and it doesn't always work. Um, you know when uh, you know, somebody new shows up in Pittsburgh, they don't they don't automatically um, turn everything around just because they get a chance to play with Crosby, and, and sometimes they only end up playing there for a couple of games before uh, before the experiment uh, fizzles out. But uh, you know, based on you know what Zucker has been able to do. You know, previously in his career, I I think this, this year in Minnesota has been, uh, you know, a disaster would be overstating it, but, um, you know, you talked about his his scoring numbers, his scoring numbers are actually, you know, sort of outpacing pacing, uh, what you might expect given like his shot generation is way down, like he was at 1.7 shots per game, um, uh, in in Minnesota, uh, in the past few years have been like 2.6 and 2.7. So like that's a that's a pretty sizable drop in in one season. And, and so you can kind of see a you know how he's available. The production uh, wasn't great in Minnesota. His ice time was down. And, and so I mean they'd obviously they'd already tried to trade him a couple of times already. Uh, and so you could kind of see you know how, how a guy like that comes available. But at the same time, if you're Pittsburgh, you know this is a, a player who who can come in and fill in for Jake Gensel. You know, like I, I think, you know, the the Penguins, if they're going to make a run at it, and as long as they have Crosby and Malkin, they're probably going to make a run at it. Um, that losing Gensel um, left kind of a gaping hole uh, for them to uh, to do something, and, and so the the fact that uh, Zucker, you know, might be a a reasonable facsimile for them that that he'll be able to uh, generate shots, and he's going to get. I mean, he's going to get better quality shots than Pittsburgh than he's ever imagined. Uh, you know, given all the years that he played in Minnesota and he and he had, you know, some pretty good seasons. Um, but you know, he never played with a playmaker like Crosby. I mean, you can say that about just just about everybody other than Crosby. But like any of the the centers in Minnesota over the past, you know, five six years. None of them are are elite high level playmakers. So I, I think Zucker is going to find himself getting uh, opportunities that he he probably didn't know existed uh, in the National Hockey League. And and so I, I would bet for the rest of the way that I mean that maybe he maybe he's a point of game player. Wow. Um, for the for the rest of the I mean I'm I'm saying that you know with the assumption that he stays with Crosby and that the Crosby basically you know Crosby's better than a point per game player and he can drag his line mates to uh, to better things but I also think that you know if if there's production there that that Zucker is going to see more ice time than he was is getting in in Minnesota he'll generate more shots and you know the the numbers should be pretty good uh, so um, you know you, you compare him to the uh, kind of other forwards who who might be available on the waiver wire. Uh, I, I would like zucker a lot uh, i added him in in one of my leagues you know where he where he was still available and so uh, I, I look at uh, you know uh, a guy who, guy who is who was pretty good on a team that didn't generate a lot of offense getting a chance to play in um in pittsburgh where you know when, when they're going they can generate a ton
0: yeah, I mean, I was the one like advising caution on Twitter, like after the trade, because mm-hmm. like going crazy. Should I drop uh, Gallagher? Was one for Zucker, like you well, know, lots of tweets like asking to drop different players, and I was like saying, well, you know, there's been a lot of players who've come to Pittsburgh, like David Perron, and you know, recently Alex Galchenyuk, even who people were super excited that yeah. oh, this person's going to play with Crosby, be great. And I was like, well, just keep in mind, it doesn't always work out so well. But you're saying potentially point per game for Zucker, and you're Scott Cullen. so I'm going to trust <laughs> you. So Everyone well, needs to listen. No,
1: but you no, know, your point is like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have dropped Brendan Gallagher. To to get him because Gallagher, you know, we is a much more known commodity, right? Like even if he doesn't score as much, he's going to generate a ton of shots and uh, and, and is not a risk. Like in Zucker's case, if Zucker, you know, stumbles for the next few weeks, well, the Penguins might have to shuffle their lines and, and see what happens. But I, you know, when I, when you look at who's available uh, on that roster, you know, Zucker should get a, a good long look, uh, playing alongside Crosby. And I think Crosby is still great. So yeah. I, I think, I think he can make his, uh, um, uh, his line mates, uh, productive
0: yeah for sure and yeah obviously it's easier if you just have a easy drop or you have a streaming spot and you yeah. want to get zucker for sure uh interestingly so his arrival didn't seem to do anything to interfere with brian rust's breakout season like at least on paper mm-hmm. rust has held onto his even strength spot with on the malkin line as well as a spot on the top power play so zucker didn't bump him from there so crosby malkin hornfist Latang, and rust uh but unfortunately rust is going through a cold spell at the moment he's pointless in five games going into today and now with six minutes left it looks like so far another pointless game for brian rust unless he does something Thing in the last couple minutes uh before that he had 45 points in 37 games so he was like the best fantasy free agent ad of most people who added him of the yeah. season uh would you be concerned right now if you were a brian rust owner like is there any risk that maybe zucker bumps him from the top power play to further exasperate the problem in the near future
1: oh uh, well i i suppose there's I suppose there's some risk to that, but I but I also wonder like Rust is a right shot and, and and Zucker I'm pretty sure is a left shot, so I I just wonder whether that it, it wouldn't fit uh, necessarily in the same way. Um, but in in the case of you know Brian Rust, like this season has just been like phenomenal, incredible out of nowhere. Um, you know, NHL players typically don't break out at 27. Uh, you know, the most guys are starting, you know, to slow down a little bit at that age. Like, you know, you're maybe not falling off a cliff, but your, your peak years should come before that. Uh, so the fact that, that rust has gone from, you know, a a guy who is kind of a, a nice secondary contributor to, to having this monster season where he's playing 20 minutes a game, scoring better than a point per game. And I mean, the part that kind of blew me away is that he's been generating almost three shots per game. And and, you know, when he had really erupted earlier in the year, he was generating more than three shots per game. And uh and that, you know, sort of changed my outlook on on Brian Rust because if you're generating three shots per game, you know, the offense is is, you know, bound to have a a floor, you know, that you're you're not going to just go go completely dry. And now we say that as he's in a six game scoreless drought, but um but i would expect that like if brian rust is continuing to play with evgeny malkin the rest of the way that he's going to continue to score maybe he's not going to be a point per game player um you know because he's he's required he's required to have some some lofty percentages to get to where he is uh this year both his own shooting percentage and the on ice shooting percentage like those may not last but but i would be i won't say shocked but i'd be surprised if Uh, You know, the year comes, uh, we get to the end of the season, and Brian Russ has like 50 points, uh, considering he's already scored 45. Like, Mm -hmm. I just think that there, there isn't, um, you know, if you're playing with Evgeny Malkin the rest of the way and and continuing to play these big minutes, that um, I think he's gonna. You know continue to score but but I also expect some kind of regression and that's probably what's happening in some ways now is that um, you know when you've when you've been shooting 20 percent and you're on ice shooting percentages you know up in the teens, you're kind of bound to go through a, a a rough patch to bring bring those percentages back down a little bit no matter how hot you are.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And hey, he does have four shots so far today with five minutes to go. So another good game, but just nothing going in for him at the moment. So it sounds like you're kind of saying if you have Rust, like you shouldn't have been expecting him to be a point-per-game guy anyways, but hold on. And if someone else, you know, gets nervous about him and drops him, could be a really smart ad to make for uh, the stretch of the season because he's still in this great spot. And we'll see how long he holds this top power play spot. Uh, so then we go to the Minnesota side of the trade. I don't even want to talk about Alex Galchenyuk. Like, <laughs> pointless in three games. Such a sad story. Yeah. yeah. Seems as fantastic fantasy irrelevant as he's been all season so i guess the bigger news in minnesota lately is probably that bruce boudreau was fired in the midst of a pretty decent run that i guess Mm -hmm. ended with a 4-3 shootout loss to the rangers on thursday when panarin scored that goal that maybe shouldn't have counted (laughs) i don't know if that sealed the fate for boudreau (laughs)
1: imagine if that's the tipping point to to cost you your job yeah uh, the league the league messing up a, a shootout
0: Well, them's the breaks, I guess, the end. It's so weird. Like, these (laughs) coaching jobs, I can't imagine just having a job where just at any moment you'd just be fired. Very, very weird. Uh, but anyway, interim coach Dean Evison doesn't seem to have messed with the lines too much yet, as far as I can tell. Like, these were the lines in yesterday's 2-0 loss to the Sharks. They went with Fiala, Parise, and Stahl. And then Galchenyuk with Kunin and Zuccarello. And then the top power play. Actually, it looks like the top power play, uh, Matt Dumba was there actually Dumba maybe is he someone that we can expect an improved finish from now with a new coach like if especially if he's going to get some extra power play time the rest of the way Uh, he had two assists in his last three games which is nice and uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't be too hard for him to improve on the sad 28 point pace that he's put up so far right
1: oh for sure and uh, you know given you know what he's been previously in his career for him at least not to contribute offensively is, is troubling, I guess, in, in terms of, you know, what the value you'd expect to, uh, to gain from him. I mean, he scored 12 goals in 32 games last year. That, that's not the kind of thing you expect from a defenseman. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you wouldn't expect him to to keep that pace over a full season, but you'd, you'd expect uh, the offense to um, come a little bit easier than it, than it has for him this year. And, and so that, that's, you know part of it is is that you know he he should play uh, a prominent role in the power play and uh, if the the wild are prepared to to give him that then you know Dumba might be a nice guy to grab off the waiver wire because you know he he's proven in the past that he can you know he can produce points with the man advantage and and heck, he one of the things he does really well is he produces points at 5 on 5 it's just been a really tough season for him. And, uh, you know, be, before the season, I think it was, I think it was on the 31 thoughts podcast where they interviewed him and, and he was talking about, you know, possibly scoring 30 goals. Um, cause you know, his, his pace last year was kind of in that range. And so, you know, he has that sort of drive in him that he, he wants to put up a bunch of points. Um, but it, it just hasn't happened yet. So I, if you're the wild and, uh, you, they give him, uh, a little bit more time on the power play. you know. May, maybe he does have uh, a finish that h- helps to salvage this season, but I I, uh, I think in, in general it's just been a really disappointing year for him to um, not be able to um, produce at, at the level that he did in, in an injury-shortened uh, year last year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you've solved it. It sounds like he jinxed it. <laughs> you should have said yeah. that. Defensemen don't score 30 goals. Now you end up with a 28-point pace season. That's what you get, Matt. Yeah, well
1: well, I, I remember when I heard it, I thought, that, that seems, you know, you're asking for trouble when you start talking about a defenseman scoring 30 goals because, yeah. like, we're not in that era where defensemen score 30 goals anymore. And uh, it turns out that, no, you know, he's sitting on four
0: oh bummer yeah and i guess of course yeah so since we're on minnesota i have to of course ask you about kevin fiala who's totally mm-hmm. scorching lately 10 he had 10 points in five games before going pointless in his last two versus the rangers and the sharks uh, he also has 33 shots in his last seven games which is pretty crazy uh so seems to be checking all the boxes to me like great deployment like he's on the top line and top power play he's taking a lot of shots he's producing so again i don't know if i've actually gotten you to rank these guys yet but like <laughs> where where does he rank if you want to answer with the, like the Olafsons and the burkowski's and the Yamamoto's of the world. Is Fiala in a similar stratosphere?
1: Oh, yeah, I, I think so. And, and for, I mean, it's one thing that he's been, that he's put up the points and that, that's really good. Uh, but the thing that um, has really stood out to me is the shots the, that he has. Um, you know, I think if you, if you look back at uh, in his, his time in Nashville and, and I guess his earlier time in, in Minnesota, shot generation wasn't necessarily uh, great for him. Uh, that, you know, there were a lot of games where one or two and, and, you know, it doesn't really, doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence that, oh, he, he's really going to be an impact player. Um, but, you know, and, but if you look, I mean, goodness, you look at um, the forwards available in Minnesota, uh, you know, there's a chance for, for a highly skilled guy. And I think Fiala, you know, qualifies as that, you know, to really take a a prominent role that, you know, if if you, if you prove that you can produce, uh, you, you should have all the ice time you want and more because they they just don't have enough guys, um, that, that I think you can consistently count on. And so, um, so I, I think if, uh, you know Fiala. You know where where does he fit compared to Burakovsky and, and Olafson? I, I guess I can. The best I can say is he he fits in that same neighborhood. That uh, you know he, he's not going to continue at a, at a ten points in five games kind of pace. Uh, but you know I I I'd be really excited about a guy who I see who has you know his shot shot totals over recent games are five and five and four and six and six and three. Like you know you you start add, adding those. Um, those games up and, and you can be pretty excited about, um, you know, a guy's chances to produce offensively. And, um, you know, I, I'll presume that uh, that Dean Eves and, you know, he, he's aware of all this. And, and uh, when you step into this uh, situation as a head coach, um, you know, you don't want to mess up the one guy who, who is uh, being really productive on your team. So I think they, they probably want to give him, um, you know, some good reps down the rest of the season to, I mean, the wilder obviously is still trying to compete for a playoff spot, but um, I think, you know, Fiala has to be a pretty big part of their their plans moving forward.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, so yeah, I guess it's like silly to rank these guys. Basically, if any of these guys are available, you want to be adding them right G- generally, away. Generally,
1: yes, that's the that's the fair way to put it, I think.
0: All right, and so to end the show, I'd love to do a quick lightning round of some hot streaks and cold streaks. Maybe I'll just mention a player, tell you what he's been up to, and then you could give a quick like thirty seconds answer of whether you think they'll be sure. able to keep it up or whether this is all just a weird blip. And we got to <laughs> start. We got to start in St. Louis. Zach Sanford had that huge four goal game versus Vegas on Thursday that up with another goal uh, yesterday to go along with five hits. So he's on fire again right now. Uh, still on that line with Ryan O'Reilly and Perron. Is there any chance that uh, Zach Sanford is for real and is going to be worth owning in fantasy the rest of the season? Because I'm going to be honest, I don't think I'd heard of him at the start of the season and even like a, a few weeks in. But right now, he's obviously someone that I know very well.
1: Yeah, well, and, and, and so the, the thing with Zach Sanford, like, is he for real? I don't think this is what we get from Zach Sanford, you know, for the extent of his career. Uh, But, you know, if you had a hole to fill and wanted to take a shot at a guy because he's playing in a really good spot uh, with good line mates and has has been on a, you know, a really hot streak lately. Sure. I like, I, I'd consider adding Sanford and, and, but I do it with the idea that, you know, a week or two weeks from now, uh, he could easily get dumped back down the lineup and and somebody else gets moved in there you know that's that's you know part of the the challenge uh, when it comes to hockey is, is that a guy like Zach Sanford can go on this run and you know have a four goal game and two weeks from now he might be playing on the fourth line right. because because he doesn't have the pedigree as you know, oh Zach Sanford must play on your first line or second line. Zach Sanford's played a bunch of time on the fourth line, both in Washington and in St. Louis. So um, I sort of I don't trust yet that 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 uh, isn't still um, a possibility for him. You know, so I, I would take him. You know, if you if you have somebody who's injured and, and need to fill a spot, certainly t- take a run at Zach Sanford. Uh, but uh, I, I would also be prepared to to cut him loose uh, if things start to slow down.
0: Yeah, for sure. So as soon as he changes his line, then definitely you would drop him. But hey, in a bankers mm-hmm. league especially if your league counts yeah. hits, you're all over him and St. Louis great schedule next week, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, so you avoid that busy Saturday day. So if you're ever going to add him, now would be the time. Uh on the flip side in St. Louis, what's going on with Jordan Binnington? Like even with that four-goal game by Zach Sanford, uh Binnington couldn't secure a win. He let in six goals on, well, 52 shots again. So yeah. it's kind of hard for him, but still he lost to Vegas. He now only has one quality start in his last 8 games. Uh, all the rest of those games have been 903 save percentage or less. He's down to an 889 save percentage over the last couple of months. So it's 15 games. So Binnington doing more harm than good to his fantasy owners. Should his owners be panicking considering dropping him? We had a tweet from someone named BaderX33 asking if he f- should drop Binnington for Blackwood. So if you're in a league where guys like Mackenzie Blackwood are available in free agency, is Binnington someone that you don't necessarily need to hold anymore? Here... Huh.
1: I would be a little worried about Bennington.
0: Um, one,
1: because it seemed like you know, last year was such a Cinderella season. Um, you know, he, he was forced on their depth chart at the start of the season, like wasn't even their top prospect in the minors, uh, and then you know, leads that ridiculous turnaround on the way to the Stanley Cup. So that's all well and good. Uh, but I think coming into this season, there had to be at least some skepticism about whether that's you know, for real. He doesn't have a, a long track record in the league. And, and then he got off to a really good start this season, and so you know you could kind of settle into to a, I guess a, a state of comfort. Going okay, well, Jordan Bennington is has established that he's a uh, you know a, a top NHL goaltender. Well, then you have what what's kind of gone on here in the you know his last fifteen starts, you say, and and the and the numbers aren't so good. And and you know the 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 thing about goaltenders is, is you know no one you know particularly cares you know how hard he's trying or, or anything like that. They just care if you're stopping the puck. And, and, and so if, you know, he continues to struggle, like maybe Jake Allen, um, you know, steals, starts from him and, and starts to, to push for it. I mean, I think the Blues are, uh, they're going to be pretty loyal to Bennington, you know, because of the Stanley Cup, the, you, you've seen uh, how NHL teams treat their Stanley Cup winning goalies. Um, and, and, so Bennington probably has a, a reasonably long leash and, and that's part of the reason that I wouldn't just drop him outright. Um, you know, he's still a number one goalie on a really good team, uh, and, and that team is going to win games. So I'm, I'm inclined to like, if you can find an upgrade on the waiver wire, sure. Uh, I'm not sure Mackenzie Blackwood is it because Mackenzie Blackwood's a, a um, you know, a promising young goalie on a bad team that doesn't win a lot of games. And, and so, um, you know, the fact that, that wins matter for fantasy goaltenders, um, still makes me prefer Bennington, but I I will acknowledge that it's fair to be concerned about him at this point.
0: Yeah. I guess that's the thing with fantasy and with goalies in general is like just because a goalie's cold now doesn't mean he's going to be the top goalie in fantasy a few weeks from now. Like I'm sure we would have been talking about Mackenzie Blackwood as a sure drop at some point in the season. And now he's on a great run. So it's really hard to predict. So I agree with you. You hold a goalie. That's still the starter on a good team. Um, Yep. Then we have another goalie, though, John Gibson, who is also the starter, but not on a good team. And his terrible season just continues. He got decimated by the Flames on Thursday, letting in four goals on 16 shots before getting pulled. Uh, Anaheim plays today against Vancouver, so we'll see how that goes. But Gibson going into today, 9.02 save percentage on the season and only 16 wins in 43 games. So I'd be curious to know what's your take on him and if he's someone you'd still urge people to hold because he's like supposedly a really good goalie that should be able to bounce back? Or or is that it for him? Supposedly, <laughs> ouch. Well, I mean, I don't know. This year it's not looking like it. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Uh, yeah, so
1: look, at if, if it's about just this season, I, I, I'd be fine with dropping Gibson and finding someone else because I think uh, obviously his numbers aren't very good, but he's also playing behind a team that isn't very good. And, and so I wouldn't expect... Uh, something to happen over the rest of the the season. Where I mean, even if Gibson's uh, you know save percentage is better, I don't expect the Ducks to win a bunch of games down the stretch. You know, I suppose anything's possible, but that that isn't my expectation. And so I, I think you're, um, you're you're left with not a lot of upside for what he can do this year. Now, if you're looking kind of long term. Uh, If you have a keeper league where you have you know room to to protect goalies, you know I still think John Gibson is is one of the better goaltenders in the league. If you look at kind of his overall track record and and he and he's done it. uh, I mean, some of the reason that he that he has kind of this reputation is is he's done it behind an Anaheim defense that hasn't been very good, Uh, and and so I suppose for fantasy owners that still limits his appeal um, because you know the Ducks. I don't know how much they're going to win. You know, the rest of this year, next year, the year after that, they don't they don't seem like they're a team that's kind of on the cusp of being a contender. Um, but I think if if they're a mediocre team and Gibson bounces back next year with a 9.20 save percentage, you know, he's probably going to get 60 starts. And, and so that's um, – there's still some value to be had there. But, uh, yeah, in a one-year league, I, I think John Gibson is probably – you, you could cut him loose this year.
0: Yeah, okay, so I I get that. So you're saying you still have faith in him long-term. This yeah. year, it's probably not going to work out. Uh, another. Goal, actually, let me mention quickly on Anaheim. Uh, there is one nice thing you could say about them right now, which is they have a really good schedule next week. They play m- <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. So there probably are some ducks available in your free agency. Like if you're in a shallow league, maybe even a Ricard Raquel, who's only owned in 67% of leagues, Getzlaff's owned in 42 the Fowler, 22%. And then like everyone else is below... 20% of, you know, like a Henrik or a Silferberg could have value to you. So if you're in a deeper league and you are looking I, what I like to do is set my lineup for the week and see like if I'm already going to be benching guys on Thursday and Sunday, I mean on Saturday, then maybe those are guys you might want to drop for an Anaheim player if they fit in. Uh, okay, one more goalie that I'll throw at you that's been terrible. This is the season of just like goalies who we expect to be good being bad and Sergei Bobrovsky has been just as bad if not worse than Gibson lately. More sub 900 save percentage starts than good starts over the past month. So he's blowing you up all the time his three goals against on nine shots on thursday versus philly brought him now to a sad 896 save percentage on the season so are you thinking the same as gibson here like bob's a great goalie but it's just not going to happen this year maybe he'll be good in the future or like is florida a good enough team that you still have faith that bob could end strong well
1: i don't know how much faith i have but i would look at it and be a little more inclined to keep bobrovsky around because i think florida um you know is competitive, uh, you know. They're in a playoff spot, and and probably, um, you know, the, the the challenge for them is is that I, you know, given the contract they gave Bobrovsky, they're going to give him ample opportunity to to figure this out, right? Like he, they can't just sort of banish him to to the minors and say, okay, it's now Chris Dreger's team and. Um, and, and this is how we're going to go because you've got seven years tied into Bobrovsky. Uh, you kind of need to him to figure this out. And, and what's the, he, there, there's a lesson here when, when it relates to your question, where you say that you know, these goalies, we thought that were going to be good that are, that are terrible is that it happens to, to even the best goalies, um, you know, maybe saving Henrik Lundqvist, but Almost every you know really good goalie goes through some stretches in his career that are um, that are pretty bad, and Bobrovsky included. You know the guys won a couple of Vesna trophies, but he's also had some uh, really awful stretches. Like last year, in kind of the first half of the year, was disastrous, um, and, and he kind of rebounded. But and so the fact that he's you know really struggled to this point in this season, it doesn't mean you know that he's completely forgotten how to play and, and will never be good again, um, but. You know, I, I don't sit here with a great measure of confidence that that oh he he'll be back to being the old Sergei Bobrovsky before the end of this season. I, yeah. I just uh, I I think he's uh, you know like many like many goalies there are some ups and downs and uh, I, I would be I guess a little bit concerned long term with him because we've had a few more downs in, in recent years than we had in the past and so um, you know I, I'd probably keep him on um, on my team in. in most cases, because I think because I think the Panthers are, are competitive enough that he'll get some wins. But uh, I, I would do it crossing my fingers that maybe he could, uh, you know, give me a nine ten save percentage and, and just be adequate.
0: Yeah, just like league average would be nice from a problem asking here. Yeah, uh, Florida. Hey, next week could be a nice bounce back week for Bobrovsky. They play San Jose, Anaheim, L.A. Uh, in the first three days of the week, so maybe he could get a couple of wins there and maybe turn things around. Uh, by the way, on the Panthers, dadanov has really quieted off. He's like still on the top line and the, and the top power play with Barkov but he has only two assists in his last nine games only 14 shots in that span so we've been starting to get questions from people asking if they need to start considering cutting bait on Evgeny Dadanov. he's still pacing for 59 points on the season but before this run he was closer to like a 70 point pace just like the last couple of years uh, yeah. do you think Dadunov is like a for sure hold kind of like a Brian Rust even though he's slumping
1: well I I, I would worry a little bit uh about the shot generation right that it, um, anytime you know, you have the a guy go through a slump. Um, you'd like to see that he's still getting chances. And, and I don't know that that's necessarily the case with that enough, but uh, like you say, he's still playing um, first line there in Florida. And, and so that would be my, my inclination would be to hang on to him and, and expect that he uh, snaps out a, because he's been, you know, a really good and productive player and not just for this year, but for, um, you know, several years before. Uh, and, and so uh, I would expect it to, to get better, but uh, I'd sort of monitor the situation. If, he's, if he kind of goes a, a few more games and he's not generating shots, um, you know, you might find a little bit better value on the waiver wire. I just, I, I don't easily uh, drop a guy who who had, you know, 65 points two years ago and 70 points last year. Uh, you know, no one likes to see their guy go through half a dozen games without scoring points, but uh, I, I'm wary about dropping a guy who has that kind of track record.
0: Yeah, the upside's definitely there. I think like if you see a line change in Florida, and if he gets moved away from Barkov, then I would be very concerned. For until sure. Then, For I, sure. Yeah, until then, I'm probably holding on to Okay, I'll throw it a, the lightning list of lightning rounds. I'm going to throw four names at you at once, and then you can just tell me if you think they're going to keep it up or not. So, okay, on Calgary, two players who are really hot right now are Mikhail Backlin, He had a run of eight points in five games from his spot on line two with Kachuk and Manji Apani, and uh, we've been getting questions about him. I've been thinking he's more like a 50-point player still that's just on a hot run. Maybe you'll think differently. Then we've got Elias Lindholm, loving life on the top line still, so he's on an amazing streak, and... You know, maybe he'll be able to approach what he did last season now that he's back in this great spot and producing. Uh, Tyler Toffoli over on LA. Even though LA is a team that barely scores, Toffoli got that hat-trick yesterday. Also huge shot on goal numbers, so we love that. 55 shots in his last 13 games, so that's over four shots per game. He's playing on the top line with Kopitar and Ayafalo. I guess he might get traded at the deadline, but he's definitely someone that's on my radar. And last but not least, Jacob Chikrin on Arizona is on a great run, and Arizona plays four times next week uh chikrin is up to two goals and five assists in his last seven games also seven points in the last seven games seems to me like he's like the future of this arizona decor and someone i'd probably be wanting to add in most leagues especially if you've lost like a weber or a seth jones chikrin might be a really nice replacement if he's still out there
1: yes i i like chikrin quite a bit and you know one of the things this year is he's, he's you know he scored a bunch of goals um hasn't racked up um a ton of assists for a defenseman like in in, in relative terms um uh, but I, I think, you know, this is a young guy who's just kind of, uh, expanding his role, uh, in Arizona. So, uh, in, in lots of leagues, I'd be happy to add Jacob Chikrin and, uh, kind of see where this goes. Um, and certainly, you know, keeper league, I think he has, he has really nice value because, um, you know, as the, you know, as this coyotes team matures and, and so on, I think Chikrin just kind of figures to, to move into a bigger and bigger role with them, uh, to Foley. uh, you know, he's had a bit of a bounce back this year. Like last year was pretty rough for him. Uh, one of the things that um, he is good at generating shots, uh, but like last year he shot like, I don't know, 6% or something. It was, it was pathetic. And so, you know, the fact that he's back to, you know, kind of shooting at a, at a normal percentage for a, for a scoring winger, um, you're, you're getting a, a better experience out of it. And And I do think, Odds are he's going to get traded at the deadline. I just, I, if you're the Kings, it doesn't make a ton of sense to um, in, invest long term in him given his age and, and kind of the, the players who you, you think are going to be the the future of Los Angeles, uh, and and so. But that probably works out better for Toffoli. Like if you're going to add him, the the opportunity for him to go to you know someplace like uh, Boston has I've seen mentioned a bunch, and I think Calgary's been mentioned. But, um, you know any any of these teams that are uh, in the playoff on they're going to give Toffoli probably a better chance than uh, to produce than what he's had in L.A. Um, and uh, when it comes to Backlund, I, I think he's a kind of a, a 40 to 50 point player. Um, I mean, really good two way player and kind of you know, in the, in the analytics world, uh, was a hero for a few years because he, he was so strong at driving play. Um, but I, I, wouldn't get super excited about his offensive production because it's just, he doesn't have that, uh, that role in Calgary, like unless, unless they do something to kind of overhaul the roster. Um, if they suddenly made a, a blockbuster deal and moved guys out, and, and suddenly Backlund was really in a, a more prominent offensive role, I just I wouldn't be um, sold on him uh, for that. Uh, in terms of guy like Elias Lindholm, I think you know he he's sort of you know taken take advantage of the opportunity that the flames have given him that um you know going back to last season that you know he, he's a pretty high-end option that uh you know i, I think he's probably going to be a one of their better offensive players kind of for for the next few years uh, barring uh some kind of radical change
0: yeah especially if he stays playing with uh goudreau and Monahan, then that's a great spot for lindholm like we saw last year it's pretty wild that uh Backlund actually was in that spot for a stretch this season and we were getting excited about it but then he didn't really do anything and now that he's back on his second line spot now's when he's producing so yeah, <laughs> sometimes the stuff is hard to predict uh, anyways so thank you so much Scott for joining us and giving us all of this time it's such a treat to be able to talk to you like I said like Brian and I always get excited every year whenever your projections come out we know these are like the really highest of quality projections <laughs> and I love your articles every week I think everyone should definitely subscribe to The Athletic and read your fantasy notebook articles every week uh, they could follow you at by Scott Cullen on Twitter. Is there anything else you want to tell people to look at?
1: Uh, no, just, uh, you know, those are all good. And uh, if you're into fantasy baseball, uh, keep an eye out for the, uh, the Locked on Fantasy Baseball podcast that I'll be starting. Uh, I guess I've got uh, new episodes
0: coming this week. Wow. Okay, awesome. So thanks so much again. And I guess I'll talk to you in five years. Awesome. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, bye. Okay, how about that? Scott frickin' Cullen. What a great interview. Thanks so much again, Scott, for joining me on the show. Okay, so before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention a couple things. Now this is late Sunday night, and I'm about to edit this show and send it out in the world. But before I do, I wanted to mention a couple things. First of all, we've got a big trade that I have no insight on really yet, but Blake Coleman has been traded from the New Jersey Devils to the Tampa Bay Lightning in exchange for prospect Nolan Foot and Vancouver's 2020 first round pick. So my initial thoughts is this is probably not good for Blake Coleman's fantasy value because he's been playing, you know, top six minutes and playing on even the top power play with Nico Heischer out over in New Jersey top power play for sure out of the question I'd imagine for Coleman. I don't know about these top six minutes. Also, I guess maybe the best case for him would be if Kucherov and Stamkos get split up again and then he gets to play with one of them. Uh, but I don't know. Obviously watch at game day lines on Twitter. Go to GameDayLineTweets.com and follow the Tampa Bay lines. I'm going to be very closely watching it. Uh, probably not great. Great for the Tampa Bay Lightning to bring in some depth. I don't know about Blake Coleman's fantasy value. Uh, the other quick thing I wanted to mention is Frederick Anderson had a really bad game today. He got blasted by the Buffalo Sabres. And this is on the heels of Jack Campbell having been really good while Anderson was injured, right? He's played four games. Talk about Campbell now since he came to the Leafs. Uh, We're looking at three wins, one overtime loss. His last three games have been very sterling, like high save percentages. I wonder if, if you picked up Jack Campbell while Anderson was injured, you know, after the trade, maybe you want to hold on a little bit longer. Like who knows what's going to happen. Most likely Frederick Anderson takes over as the you know, somewhat high volume starting goalie on the Leafs. But for now, I wonder if, you know, Anderson struggles again in his next game. I wonder if Jack Campbell could sneak in and take some more starts. So that's a name that I'm going to throw out there. So I'm going to maybe hold on a little bit longer. Anyway, hope you really like the show. Obviously, the short shifts guys will be back at you on Wednesday morning to break down everything that's happened, you know, tonight through Tuesday. Uh, if you like the show, we'd love to hear from you. Tweeted us at Keeping Carlson. We love hearing your feedback. Obviously, give us a follow if you're not doing so already. If you want to help support the show, first of all, we'd love a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us. That really helps us out. Doesn't cost you a thing. Really helps support the show. Also, if you want to extra support the show, we still have our Patreon program going and we're churning out those rewards to our patrons to thank them for all of their support. So first of all, thank you to all the patrons who've been with us all year long. It's because of you that we're able to make all of these shows for you every week. And yeah, if you want to sign up, it's not too late and you can sign up even for just a month. Throw us five bucks to thank us for what we've been doing. And in exchange, we're going to give you access to our patron only Facebook group. You might want some, you know, intense ad drop, maybe trade advice going into your fantasy playoffs. have a huge group of people, including myself, Brian, Ben, Lewis, and others to help give that advice to you. And it's a lot of fun in the Facebook group. We always have a blast there. We've also got our monthly patron cast. We had a really fun one last month. We have another one coming, you know, in a couple of weeks. Uh, Then there's a bunch of other perks. Our show notes. We've got the bonus episodes that Ben does on Saturday mornings where people ask streaming questions for the busy Saturday night slate. So it's a lot of fun. Check it out. Keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, let's cue the outro music. And I don't really have any credits to read. So once again, thanks so much to Scott Cullen and Brian and I will be back next Sunday with another regular episode of keeping Carlson, which by the way, another perk for the patrons we record live on Facebook. It's always a lot of fun. So until then, Keep on keeping Carlson, but not Eric Carlson, at least in the one year league, because he is done, unfortunately. So sad. But hey, when I talk with Scott Cullen, uh, William Carlson looking pretty good. John Carlson, of course, is great. So you got lots of Carlson's to keep on keeping on your roster.